Well, before I forget at the end of Mass, as I often do when I'm supposed to make announcements, um, please do us a favor, and if you like any of the poinsettias that are here, or here, or anywhere in the church, take them home, because we don't want them. But leave the underliner, the plastic little thing that it sits in to collect water, we do want those. So, red, white, whatever tickles your fancy. One of the hardest things to wrap your head around when you're ordained as a priest is the fact that you now get to do what you have wanted to do for so long. You have the schooling, you have been given the authority and the sacramental power to confer the sacraments. Your soul has been indelibly marked by the grace of holy orders so that you are ontologically different. And yet, you feel exactly the same as you did before. So the first time that you give a blessing, or baptize someone, or say mass, you almost wish that there was like a cosmic check mark that would appear above your head so that you knew that you had done everything correctly and that what you wanted to happen actually did. The day prior to your ordination, you can say the words for any sacrament straight out of the book and literally nothing happens. But the day that you are ordained, you are imbued with the sacramental grace and the authority so that when you say the words that you're supposed to say, things actually happen. This is, in fact, the definition of a sacrament, an outward expression of an inward grace, a thing that actually does what it says it's going to do. But for a while after ordination, there is a small part of every priest that doubts. I don't mean that he doubts in the existence or the goodness of God, but rather he doubts that because he knows himself to be a sinful man, he wonders if the Lord still chooses to work through his broken humanity to bring humanity the Lord's divinity. For the first six months as a priest, I always felt like someone was going to show up at Mass and tell me that I had no right to be on the altar doing the things that I was doing because I wasn't yet worthy of it. I was waiting for that confirmation that everything was kosher and I was allowed to do what I was doing. My own insecurities aside, it's nice that Jesus never had to deal with that question of authority. Mostly, he didn't have to deal with it because he was fully God and fully man. So he knew God was his father. And also, because at the moment of his baptism, the heavens open, the spirit descends, and he hears the approving words of his Father. Now, on a purely practical level, I have a question for you. If you have two natures, should you also get two birthdays? I mean, like, serious question. We have just one nature, human, and we commemorate how many revolutions we have made around the sun since the day that we were born into this world. But if you had two natures, does that mean that you should celebrate twice? Jesus, fully human and fully God, two natures in one person, the hypostatic union as it's called, we commemorate his birth into the world, but shouldn't we also celebrate the sacramental birth into this world? Now, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, yeah, Father Dan, that sounds like a great idea. We should celebrate Jesus' second birthday. Well, then I've got great news for you today. 
because that's what this feast day is all about. At least that's what St. Maximus of Turin tells us. He says, the gospel tells us that the Lord went to the Jordan River to be baptized and that he wished to consecrate himself in the river by signs from heaven. He wished to do this through the means of water and the Holy Spirit. It seems then that this feast of the Lord's baptism, which I think could be called the feast of his birthday, should follow soon after the Lord's birthday, during the same season, even though many years intervened between the two events. At Christmas, he was born a man. Today, he is reborn sacramentally. Then he was born from the Virgin. Today, he is born in mystery. When he was born a man, his mother Mary held him close to her heart. When he is born in mystery, God the Father embraces him with his voice when he says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The mother caresses the tender baby on her lap. The father serves his son by his loving testimony. The mother holds the child for the Magi to adore. The father reveals that his son is to be worshipped by all the nations. That is why the Lord Jesus went to the river for baptism. That is why he wanted his holy body to be washed with Jordan's water. The question often arises then, why would Jesus desire baptism if he had no need to have sin washed away? The answer is this. Christ is baptized not to be made holy by the water, but to make the water holy, and by his cleansing to purify the waters he touched. For the consecration of Christ involves a more significant consecration of the water. For when the Savior is washed, all water for our baptism is made clean, purified at its source for the dispensing of baptismal grace to the people of future ages. Christ is the first to be baptized, so that Christians will follow after him with confidence. Now isn't it interesting that the story that we hear from the Gospel of John that takes place right before the baptism of the Lord is the story of the wedding feast at Cana. Jesus shows that through ordinary elements like water, that he can do miracles that the people do not expect. He shows that he has control over the elements of nature, and he can use them supernaturally. So is it that hard to believe then, if he can change water into the best wine, that when he says the waters of baptism take away sins and make us sons and daughters of God, that it actually happens. He has already shown that he is miraculous. Through his baptism, he opens to us the possibility of life in the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful example the Lord set by doing things for us first. First, he shows us how to live in humility by being born into humanity. Next, he shows us how to be free of original sin by being washed in the waters of baptism. And finally, he shows us that death is nothing to be afraid of as he himself dies and conquers death by the very vehicle of death itself, so that through death we might be reborn into eternal life. And all of this 
is given to us freely by the virtue of our own baptism.